a podcast for artists to grow and learn the real truth of being a creative entrepreneur. The Vero Podcast, hosted by Kelly Berry. Hello. Hello. We are so happy (laughs) to have you. I know we have so much to talk about. So much, so much good stuff. I can't even wait to get started. So first of all, thank you for coming on. I know you're a super busy lady, so I am very excited to have you Always on. Always time for you, Kelly. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> so first of all, I mean, obviously, we've had a lot of time to really get to know each other. Being in the car for, you know, five plus many, hours. Many, many hours. <laughs> many, many hours. But I really would love to kind of get this interview started with just kind of the background on Wedding Sparrow. And how you got started, what your inspiration was behind it. And, you know, obviously this is your baby as long with your yes. other baby. So I just want to, <laughs> you know, kind of get the first baby. Yes. So kind of yeah. tell people about how that all got started. Yeah. Well, this is definitely the most asked question that I get when I meet people in the industry and or at workshops. And I love to tell it because I find that when I talk about it, it often my story changes. <laughs> not that it's not true, but I kind of sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, and I forgot about this and this happened and everything. So I love that. Basically, when I was getting married and in the wedding planning process myself many, many years ago, I've been married for six years now and probably started the wedding planning process a couple of years before that. Um, so maybe about eight years ago, I found myself on social media with a bit more of a purpose as a bride-to-be. So I was connecting with other brides that were in uh, the UK where I live and also local to me and wedding vendors in the industry too. This was back in the days when Twitter was super popular. Less so now, but it was the Instagram of the day, I promise. Good old Twitter. And I know, right? <laughs> and I would I would meet people on there, get talking about things, just how we were planning our weddings. And it was a real social circle, not what social is now. It was definitely more, I would say, genuine <laughs> back then. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I started my blog, which was always been called uh, Wedding Sparrow. I started it basically as an online journal and it was nothing more than that. There was never any intention behind it. It was just kind of like, yeah, I could do this. I could just blog about my wedding planning journey. And it was more of a kind of just place online where I could curate and collate things that I liked and my aesthetic. And it kind of helped me organize my planning journey. Yeah. Well, and I and, and, then, and I think that right off the bat is so great because so many people now, I think, with Instagram being as the mecca that it is, they're going out and they're saying, I'm going to start a wedding blog, you know? Yes. And I think it's so great that as we get further in the conversation about authenticity, it just goes to show, I mean, the the kind of the base that you were starting your your business on, which is awesome. Yeah. And it, it quickly became apparent that the aesthetic that I was curating wasn't already out there in one place Mm -hmm. so I would find bits and pieces here and there Pinterest and then the big blogs that were really just starting to gain momentum at the time and they were all usually USA based blogs Mm -hmm. I would kind of find bits and pieces from everywhere and I was really drawn to the aesthetic of 
film, but I didn't know it was film. And I always find that interesting when I meet people in the industry who are predominantly film photographers now, mm-hmm. that I was that bride back in the day that was attracted. Not that long ago. ago. <laughs> I know. Many days ago. Yeah. Decades um, ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I was that bride that liked the look, but had no idea that film existed. And I, after speaking to so many photographers since being in this industry myself now, I found that they get that client all the time, especially when they're trying to justify their own prices. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, we shoot film. And people are like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? We used to shoot film in the 80s. Yeah, I get it. We all had disposable <laughs> cameras. People still do that now. Oh, yeah. And that's the most common question that they get when they raise up the fact that they shoot film. I was that client. I wanted to have that aesthetic, but didn't know I should be searching for a film photographer. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of around about my own experiences that I then thought a little while later that I could actually have this as my niche moving forward. This is what I like genuinely because there's nothing worse than trying to launch a business and be like, oh, well, this is the trend of the moment. So I'm going to do this as a business because it's a good business plan. Because if you're living and breathing it every day, it has to be you. Right. And it has to be your innate aesthetic because there's no way you could do a successful business faking it. No. That's my personal opinion. Right. (laughs) It's out there. We know that. But (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But yeah. And I was just like, you know, this is what I found difficult because so if this is my experience, then surely it's going to be the same experience for others out there too. And that other audience that was out there that could be like me could have been just 20 people. It could have been 20,000 people. I I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I didn't really do market research or anything like that. I was just like, yeah, I could do this. And then the first real website that wasn't just a WordPress theme that I was doing myself online uh, was launched in 2013. And because it was something that at the time was so different in the industry and offered something not only to industry creative so it's a chance for them to get published specifically their film work Mm -hmm. but also different for the audience and the brides out there that getting married because they could finally find in one place international inspiration that was all of the same and really curated aesthetic right and now I'm asking this because I genuinely don't know which is an answer I probably should know but were you the first all film exclusive publication? I sure was. Let that be known, people. Let that be known. (laughs) We're stating it on the record right now. (laughs) Yeah, trademarking it. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that within within itself, I mean, is really um, a feat. And I love that, you know, you didn't set out to, you know, be on the Fortune 500 list and you said, well, you know, Let's just see how this goes. And this is what I like. And this is who I am. And let's go for it. I mean, I think that's freaking badass. So thanks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I definitely never set out to be badass. That's for sure. Well, you're but, just, I mean, that's just who you are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll do that. Okay, cool. Yeah, there was lots of publications that obviously featured film photography, but there was nobody out there that focused on it that was kind of made up 10 to 20% of their features online. And then Mm -hmm. when you had photographers that were making the leap to 100% film, 
there was never a publication that they could kind of reach out to and say, you know, for the love of film, basically, right. I want my work featured. Right. Um, but highlighted the, the fact that it's film because of this reason and we love film because of this reason. Right. And most of it is a real educational thing, too. And that's what we're going to try and concentrate moving forward with uh, the publication as it stands now is not that digital is a bad thing because it's not. It's just that we specifically love film because mm -hmm. of the aesthetic, because of the timelessness of it, mm -hmm. and because it's more considered. Right. I found that at the time where digital was really prevalent in not just the wedding industry, but our lives, how throwaway our imagery was. Mm -hmm. So for example, my wedding itself, no, I didn't have a film photographer. That's another question I'm always asked. <laughs> I had a digital shooter and we loved our images. We were given them on a USB stick and now that just sits somewhere kind of kept away and we, we don't see them. They're not printed on our walls. And it's something since finding film photography where we've had uh, anniversary shoots or at home kind of editorials done. And those are all over my house. Right. And even if they were done years ago, I still look at them and they still haven't dated. And I absolutely love them. Yeah. But I just found that, you know, when we kind of take photos, we upload them onto social media. They go onto a Facebook album somewhere and they kind of disappear into the universe. Mm -hmm. And they're not what photographs used to be. Right. They're not printed out into that album uh, and obviously digital photos can be, but usually that's such a throwaway thing that I just love how film is that bit more tangible mm -hmm. than digital. Mm -hmm. Well, and, um, I, and I'm glad we're talking about this because I think that's a really common misconception about Wedding Sparrow in general is that the wedding industry can be like high school, I feel like, where it can be so segregated. And I think a lot of digital shooters almost are intimidated by Wedding Sparrow or they feel that film shooters are just haters on, you know, and vice versa. You know, it's like this battle oh between. But I'm so glad you're touching on that because that's not the case at all. It's just a personal, personal decision. And yeah. I have to say that I 100% agree with you because I too, well, I eloped and we, I literally set up a tripod and shot pretty much all the images on a tripod on self-timer. and But I never, ever did anything with them. I mean, I actually mm -hmm. ended up printing one. We just celebrated our five-year anniversary. And I just... Congratulations. Thank you. I just <laughs> put one on my desk like like a couple months ago. Aww. And so, it, but it just goes to show that I, I think you're 100% right. And I think your intuition of tapping into that is spot on. So, um, but as far as other digital, sh you know, when you launched, did you feel that you got any sort of pushback on, on the digital shooters? You know, did you feel any of that or was that everybody just pretty um, much embraced you? Not so much in the beginning, but as we grew bigger and we started to say no more to submissions and work that was sent in to us to be featured. Mm -hmm. The pushback came about when the term fine art weddings became popular. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not entirely sure where the term fine art uh, came along. And it's obviously been around for many years, but I mean in terms of kind of describing weddings these days mm -hmm. and the aesthetic that they have. And some people consider it a trend, uh, which it could be, but... 
there was sometimes we would get submissions of digital work and we'd say, no, we're only shooting um, film. And they say, well, you call, call yourself a fine art wedding blog, which we do to describe our aesthetic. It makes it a bit easier to describe when we can kind of use that terminology mm -hmm. um, just for our audience sake. But when they say, yeah, but I'm shooting on digital, but it still is fine art. And it is. And then you kind of just say, well, we, that's just our niche in the industry is that we just feature film. Right. And that's what we're trying to strive to promote. Right. Is, is the film aspect. And there was a, f you know, don't get me wrong, in, in a few years ago, there'd be a lot of upset emails of, oh, okay, well, that's rude. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was literally our brand niche. And we had to be strong and cohesive of what we were putting out there. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we were just going to look like every other blog out right. there. And that wasn't the point of trying to do it as a new publication. Right. And, I, and I'm sure that you received tons of beautiful digital work. But at the end of the day, it's like, you have to really draw the line somewhere because if you, it's it's kind of like if you start accept if you accept one, you're like, oh, this one is just to die for. I just have to have to put it out there. Then Bobby Sue down the road is going to be like, well, this person got picked up, and I know that they're just a digital shooter. So I respect you so much for that, and I think that that's um, definitely something to be rewarded for. Thanks. It's it's hard. Always, always been hard to say no to people, especially when the work is beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, very rarely do we see something like, oh my gosh, this is so far removed from our brand. Right. And um, they're usually just really small things. And sometimes it's really hard to give feedback and say why we didn't accept something because it can be something so small, like we're scheduling into a different season right now. So it's not suitable. Or it could be we featured that dress really recently. So we're looking for something different or we're looking for a different color palette. You know, it's not just something that's so in that moment that we have to say no to. Right. That it really is luck of the draw sometimes because the the level and quality of work that we get submitted to us from photographers and planners and stylists and brides is so high that it's getting really increasingly more difficult to say no. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And, you know, I think coming from a photographer's perspective, and I think a lot of photographers feel this way, when you submit your work, it's such a vulnerable experience. And <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, you put yourself out there and, you know, that rejection hurts your feelings sometimes. But at the end of the day, oh, yeah. but it's so great to hear, you know, coming from your perspective and coming from the other side that it could be something that is so small. And it just yeah. it could just be a simple fact that it's not that time of year. So I think yeah. when other photographers hear this, that it should give them peace of mind knowing that whether it's you're submitting to any publication, that it doesn't devalue your work whatsoever. It's just the fact that it, it could just be something as small as, you know, one minor detail or a time of year or something like oh, that. Completely. Yeah. So, you know, moving into our next question, I think um, it kind of goes along with what we're talking about, about being published and how you feel that I know you have some really I have to say that whenever you do like your top five favorite planners or your stylists or your photographers, I go through and I click every single one of them and they're always so remarkable. So yeah. the people that you have in your in your circle as 
just incredible. So, and I think that's a very, um, that's a tough thing to do because I think that obviously there's so many creatives out right now and you have somehow, some way done such a great job of finding a team of people that are under you that are really so spot on with your aesthetic and have such great businesses and strong brands. So that's really remarkable. And just in general, how do you feel about, you know, the people, the the photographers or the stylists or planners or whatever that do get published by Wedding Sparrow? You know, how do you feel that that has amplified their career? Um, well, I mean, there's like a hundred different reasons, some of which are <laughs> tangible, but some of which are not. The kind of key aspects of being published and why we should be published in the first place in general, not just on Wedding Sparrow, but there's obviously the SEO side of things, the mm-hmm. amount of websites that are tracking back to your website. There's then the social reach that comes with that. And I don't know about you, Kelly, but I'm finding more and more in the industry that people are saying, I got my booking straight via Instagram. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And it's like people skip your website completely these days or it's a secondary landing spot you know people are treating as they should their instagram page as a mini website right and if you're kind of not doing that then you should be right now because that's where people are the consumer at the moment the reader the bride the groom are becoming increasingly lazy as to how many clicks they need to make a decision of whether they like you or not Mm -hmm. And they need instant gratification. I want to see all your work right here in front of me. (laughs) No, I don't need to go to your Instagram, then to your website and find you. I just want to look at your Instagram, the last nine squares. Yep. And make a snap judgment. Yep. And so when we feature anybody online or where we feature our uh, vendors that we have in our fine art curation vendor guide, it's so important to us that they are promoted on social. Yeah. We have a really engaged following of predominantly brides. And that's another really important thing that I talk about at workshops and everything is that it's not about the numbers. It's about who's engaging with the post and who your audience is. Mm -hmm. And those are two separate things. If you're submitting your work to a publication that has an audience in a certain region that actually you're not trying to book weddings in then we need to kind of be thinking about that before and it sounds so obvious right um, but people kind of go well yeah I submitted it to this like really big wedding blog but they didn't even put it on social and you're like okay so well what did you get back from that well (laughs) I'm just linked off of that website now which is always good yeah always good for SEO but what were you trying to achieve by doing that well I just kind of wanted to see my name on there (laughs) and it's like okay great but we kind of I think more and more in business these days we need to have more of a strategy behind what we're doing when we're sending our work out for publication so when we're submitting to blogs and publications um when when we're putting it on our own blog and our own social media 110 percent. why are we doing it and what are we trying to achieve by putting it out onto a specific blog it can't just be like oh I shot this thing and it kind of just screams green wedding shoes to me mm-hmm. you know ask green wedding shoes where their audience is mm-hmm. and are you trying to book this people what's their kind of demographic and any any publication will be able to send you information in a media pack or something to tell you who their audience is mm-hmm. and also don't forget that 
their blog or publication audience might be vastly different to their social audience. Mm-hmm. And in which case, do you just want to get in front of their social audience and not necessarily their blog or printed publication audience? Right. So I think it's it's really good for people to, as often as they can, kind of do a bit of a fact-finding day or spend some time really getting to know the publications that they think are good and what their strengths are and who their audience is. Because I've certainly found in the past that people just kind of, I use the expression, swing a cat in a room and uh, hit the nearest publication and be like, right, let's send it there because we've never had something published. But right. without finding out who it's going to be in front of. And that, you know, it, it just kind of is business 101 to right. me. But right. I'm always surprised that, to, that people go, no, I've never asked them who their audience is. Or they just assume that their audience is a certain demographic when mm-hmm. it might not be. Right. Well, I think that's so interesting. And I think that, you know, like I said, you've you've done such a great job of finding the best of the best in the industry and working with them. And I always, I mean, I know that I speak for many when whenever you do anything, it's always to the nines and it's it's really just so fun to watch. Thank you. You're welcome. So now we're going to move into something a little bit more personal because I think this is one of the things that I might have read. I can't remember. It's a vicious rumor, I'm sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I swear it's not true. No. So I can't remember when I read it, but I can't remember if it was before. Um, I might have been when I just had asked you to come to Cumberland Island for the first time. And I think right after that was when – I read the article and it was a really personal article and it was just about all the things that were going on in your life and it was on Wedding Sparrow and it was just about, you know, the things that in this industry, I think we have a lot of beautiful things around us all the time and a lot of fluff and a lot of a lot of things like that. But this was like a real nitty gritty article. And I just remember sitting down and reading that. I read the whole thing and I was like, wow. This girl Uh-oh. is just the real – no, I was so inspired. I just couldn't believe that – you know, I've been in this industry for eight years, so I have I have looked up to Wedding Sparrow, and it's just been such a staple in the industry. So to have someone in my eyes that was so um, high in the industry and such a leader and just to be so vulnerable and just to say, you know what, sometimes – it's not always perfect. And sometimes we do struggle with things. And sometimes it's not always butterflies and rainbows and and life Mm. is tough. And so I read that and I remember sharing it. I I think I shared it like you probably – that's when you probably realize it how crazy I was. And I shared it I think over (laughs) all over – all over my social media platforms. And I was like, this is why, this is what we need in this industry. Like, this is why she's coming to Vero. This is why I'm, you know, so excited to meet her in person. And I just got so excited about it because I'm just, I'm a very transparent and authentic person. And I think that it's always such a struggle for me. I mean, I would share so much of my life on social media. And my my little brother is like, you really need to like reel this in, Kelly. Like you really don't need to be, <laughs> you know, he's six years younger than me. So he tries to like keep me up to date. But, um, you know, I think that's such a struggle with business. At least I know that I struggle with that is um, sharing, 
you know, that fine line of sharing too much and not enough and how do you get people to connect with you and being authentic in your brand. And so, I mean, I'd love for you to talk about that and how you manage that balance. It's definitely something that I struggle with and probably always will. And whether that's maybe a lack of confidence in myself, my business, maybe, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but it's always been a decision from the beginning that the business, the Wedding Sparrow as itself is a brand rather than an influencer. Right. And Although I can see in the industry the rise of the influencer and how that can enhance your brand, it's not something that I'm entirely comfortable with. Mm -hmm. But I do know that when I do post something that's more personal on the industry part of the blog, so when people in the industry kind of can go on the blog and not just look at articles that are about planning a wedding, we've Mm -hmm. got a whole section that's kind of behind the scenes and me in the industry – I know that when I do write a more personal post, it's 10 times more popular than anything else because, you know, it's kind of basic roots of people is to be nosy. You know, yeah. we kind of, that's the rise of reality TV and everything like that, you know, and the Instagram stories, we want to see what's inside your home and your daily life and what you like to drink because it enables us to relate to people Yes, and feel better about ourselves when we know, okay, great. She's had a really bad day too. And she's trying to juggle parenthood and running a business and being a wife and being a friend and how bad she is at all of these things. No. And you kind of go, okay, that makes me feel good too. Right. And I, I do the same. And I love to follow influencers across all different industries so that I can kind of get tips of what does work for them and then follow along when things don't necessarily go as well for them or Mm -hmm. they're just having a bad day you can kind of relate and I do it too but I just struggle to put myself out there as much Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that I try to do more of and it's always in the back of my mind because I know that people do want to see it Mm -hmm. I just I just think to myself really do they really want to see me just sat in my office just basically doing emails all day because that's not fun so I feel like I have nothing to share it's when I kind of go on my travels and I get to I'm very lucky to be able to go and speak to people at awesome workshops like Firo and I travel and then I think to myself well hold on a minute I'm sat in an airport how exciting really is this (laughs) but people do want to know why you're traveling where you're going what you're doing Um, So I'm getting better at it, but the jury's still out as to whether people really want to see that. (laughs) Right. No, I 100% agree. And I think that, you know, I know you have your separate account, Sarah, with Wedding Sparrow. Yeah. And then you have Wedding Sparrow. And so I think that within itself, and I know you have a strong following on both platforms. So, I mean, you could pretty much call yourself an influencer on your your personal account. (laughs) I'm not probably not going to step that far just yet. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, but yeah, I always think that that's a that's a constant battle, and especially I know we talked didn't really talk about it too, but this this term fine art and what it really means, and I think people in the fine art industry in general have a tendency to. I think be more withholding and not put as much of themselves into their brand. And I know I I definitely see there's a lot of 
wonderful photographers that I know of that, and I'm just saying photographers because I just know that side of the industry so well. Um, I'm sure stylists and planners and and all kinds of other creatives are doing the same, but I, I just feel like there is a little bit of a turn. Slowly it's happening, but I feel like it's, it's I, I have to agree with you that I don't know if it's people really genuinely interested in it or if it's just something that they're just being nosy or they just um but yeah it's it's so interesting and I think there's so many studies and so many incredible uh, entrepreneurs that do a lot of a lot of research on this but I still think at the end of the day it's obviously those first nine images I think are gonna be your selling point for sure yeah and I think that you know in my stories at least for me I really the only thing that I have to share is really my animals and I love that <laughs> which is pretty much it especially lambing season oh, oh my god. god I need to check out the lambs I like gain like <laughs> more followers in the spring than I do at any time it's like so ridiculous but and you know it's just it's so funny that but I mean, I guess people it's I feel like it's such a cop out because, of course, people want to see cute animals, you know, but and then then I like post things about other stuff and they're like, nah, I don't really care about that. (laughs) Swipe on by. Yeah. (laughs) Next. So, um, but yeah, it's it's just so it's so interesting. I think the human dynamic and and how you put turn that into business and then how it it turns into this like what you said it's like you don't you're not sure if it's people genuinely wanting to gain information or if it's really just them being nosy so i think it's that always that constant uh battle but at yeah, the end of the I'm, day i'm going to put my animals out there and i hope people like it well i do so you can just <laughs> put them out there for me perfect perfect <laughs> and i think there's there's nothing wrong with being nosy cuz i love to do that too i am a bit of a lurker on social oh, media oh for sure um but i think it's important to remind everybody to make sure that they if they really do like an account or they like to watch someone or listen to someone or look at somebody's images is to engage with those accounts Yes. Because with the current algorithms as well on social is that they're not going to pop up in your feed if you're just lurking and looking and swiping on by, but you're actually enjoying the content mm-hmm. and not taking the time to double tap and like it or put a little comment on. It's just engagement is so key at the moment on social that yes. it's just really important to take that five seconds and just like or share or comment. A hundred percent. And I think people underestimate the value of that. And it's uh, not only just for the, obviously for the people that you're engaging with, but what it does for you, what what it does for you personally. I mean, it just puts you out in more and more platforms and with the algorithm, it puts you in front of more people. So I just, I definitely encourage that 110%. Um, And it refines your feed to the, so what you'll be seeing is more of what you're actually liking. Yes. Um, If you don't tell the algorithm, it won't do it right for you. Right. Well, I feel like we could talk about this for a hundred years, but I really, I will at Vero. I'm going to bore everybody with my social media talk. (laughs) No, I, I would love, I mean, honestly, I could talk about this for the next, I mean, for the next hour, but I know you have to pick up your sweet little girl. So we need to talk about, um, talk about Vero and talk about, obviously you are here for Cumberland Island and 
for those of you that have not heard this story yet, (laughs) (laughs) here it comes. (laughs) So I'm going to just kind of give you guys that I'm just going to paint this picture for you guys. So I had my sweet parents have a um, big like suburban Escalade that they let me use because Pearl and Sarah and um, my assistant were all riding down to Cumberland Island together. This was last November. So we had a ton of stuff, ton of luggage. So they were gracious enough, instead of me renting a van, they were gracious enough to let me use their massive car. So my dad had gotten everything inspected. I had taken it to the shop. Everything was good to go. So I was like, okay, let's do this. So we left Monday morning at an insanely early hour. And (laughs) so we were driving down I-16 down towards Cumberland Island. So we stopped and got gas. And I, for some reason, we got back on the freeway and the car was like stalling out. Like, I don't even know how to describe it. Those mechanics out there, you guys probably think uh, I'm kind of an idiot, but it just, when I put the gas on, it just was not, nothing was happening. So (laughs) (laughs) nothing was happening. And so we, here we are getting back on the freeway and the car is just kind of rolling down the highway. So at maybe 10 miles an hour. So I pull over <laughs> on the side of the road and long story short, we end up getting getting to a little uh, truck stop on the, you know, way station, I guess. So there we are, we're stuck on I-16 and with a ferry to catch. With a f- Oh, that was another piece of the puzzle that I haven't mentioned. The ferry <laughs> was so when you go to Cumberland Island for those of you that have not been there is a ferry that leaves at certain times and it waits for no one so (laughs) (laughs) so here we are and we're thank god we were right outside of Savannah and we had to call an uber and it took (laughs) it took you know 20 minutes for the uber to get to us and so then we had to go get an uber get all of our stuff in there, pack all our stuff in there, go rent a car, pack all our stuff in there, and then book it to the Lord ferry. knows what the Uber driver thought with I all mean, the stuff that we had to put in his car. That guy was like, what are you guys like on, you Moving know? Moving house? <laughs> yeah, what is happening? I mean, he was so nice and such a thank God for him. But mm. it was um, – and then I'll, I'll never forget while – Everybody was packing their stuff into this Uber and we're all kind of laughing and, you know, thinking it's thinking it's funny. In the meantime, I am about to die on the inside because <laughs> just, this is this the workshop hasn't even started yet. And this is this is already <laughs> yeah. happening. God so, forbid everybody gets to the workshop before we do. Oh, I know. That would be terrible. But so uh, we're in the Uber on the way to get the rental car. And the model that was supposed to be for the next morning calls and says, she can't come. And I'm like, um, I'm sorry. What? Say you're, you can't. What do you mean? So long story short, it just like it was like this spiral effect that everything or this domino effect that everything just started falling apart. And I just don't know, you know, it really tests your character doing these kinds of things. And um, 
it all ended up great and everything was wonderful we got the model and everyone kelly was super calm and super professional and she just got it done (laughs) i honestly i don't know how i must have done something really great in my past life because (laughs) i don't know how it happened but once we got there and once we got to um I'll never forget when we got there and Katie and Chad are just like enjoying lunch under the tree. And I'm like, oh, God, if if only I turn up a hot, sweaty mess. (laughs) They're like, oh, we've been here and they have their sweet dog with them. And I'm just like my hair is just out of control. I'm just like, (laughs) oh, my gosh, it was just insane. But it ended up being such an incredible workshop. I mean, just Mm -hmm. everything about it was I mean, we had uh I think, and I know, and I know you said this, but Pearl has a history of making people cry, and boy, did that Bless really in a good way. In yes, a good way, not in, a, in a bad way. No, in a 100% <laughs> good way because at the at our last dinner, I think pretty much everybody did cry. Yes. Um, so I mean, I, and I was just sitting there and I think I was crying because I was like, I just can't believe that this happened. I mean, we pulled it off and it was so amazing. Um, but it also didn't help that the lovely Erin, the attendee Erin, um, oh she showed us her wedding video and everyone was just in floods of tears. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that woman in general is just – I mean, we could just do a whole podcast on her and how incredible she is. And I and I don't even think that she knows, like, how truly incredible she is. And I'm she's actually – I don't know, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, and I'll check with her – but she is actually starting her own planning business. So I'm so pumped for and I you might already know that. So but um but yeah, I'm like so excited for her and she's just a really incredible person. So I know we talked about what your favorite well, I kind of t- took over that, took the reins on your favorite moment in Vero. But <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely riding in the car with you for sure. Oh, My second God. favorite moment. <laughs> Do you know what? There was just because Cumberland Island was such a magical, incredible place. Yes. Um, there was, unfortunately for me, zero Wi-Fi and no phone service. You know, Sarah, I, I don't know like who did that to you. But... Of, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like I was on a desert island. But actually, it was such a good thing. And it was just such a part of the whole experience for me to kind of disconnect from my virtual world that I'm so sucked into for 99% of my time. Yes. Uh, And it was so great to actually connect with the attendees and not have to worry about, well, I'm not going to lie, I was worried about checking my emails, but I couldn't (laughs) check my emails. But, you know, there was nothing you could do about it. And that was a a really great feeling (laughs) of having that actual break from the kind of digital side of my job and actually just speak to and listen to the people that we were there with and learn so much. Right. And I think that's why I remember almost every little detail from that workshop because the the environment that we were in was so incredibly beautiful. And Charleston as well. I remember when you first talked to me about the fact that you were thinking about doing a workshop in Charleston. I was like, oh gosh, this is bucket list for me I'm so excited about going to Charleston for the first time and I just feel like when you pick such an amazing location and then the venue that you have as well and I've seen the interior pictures of it and Mm -hmm. it just looks like such a great environment that yeah I just think when you've got 
that aspect and then you've got such a great team of people Mm -hmm. um, that are so willing to be open and teach and learn themselves right that it's just a really good experience well I thank you so much for saying that because that's that's really such an important aspect of this whole workshop in general and and Charleston is just one of the I I, didn't, I haven't even really said this about Charleston in general, but Charleston is a place for me personally that I felt was a huge turning point in my career. I actually attended a really incredible retreat there, and it was it was just a, a moment in my life that it was just so – it was just a very big moment in my life, and I just felt that place in general held such a big piece of my heart, and it was such an important piece of that you know, change that I always knew I wanted to take Vero to Charleston. And I just felt like this, this year was the year to do it. And I just have some really awesome, I mean, I can't wait to, and that's always the part is like, I'm such a, I'm, I'm just the kind of person I I'm like the worst person to throw surprises because I, I get too excited and I tell (laughs) everybody about everything. So, yeah. but I know I want to keep, a, you know, a lot of it secret because I really want that for the attendees. And, but just the, just the things that we have planned is really going to be something that is so, it's just going to bring everybody together. And I just, I'm such a firm believer that that atmosphere really cultivates such strong creativity. And I know we felt that in Cumberland Island a hundred, like tenfold. So I really wanted to like really, really repeat that and bring everybody really close together and just bring that creativity out in everybody. So um, I'm so excited about it. And I just can't, I can't believe, you know, we're, we're almost a month away. I mean, we, so I just, and it's always, I feel like when you get here, it always makes it feel so real. I'm like, oh my God. The party is- starts. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> this is really happening. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, um, but yeah, again, I just thank you so much, not only for coming on today, but everything that you've done. It's just been such an honor working with you and you just bring so much joy and knowledge and expertise. And so I just, I just thank you so very much for everything. Bless you, Kelly. That's really kind. Thank you. Yes, of course. And um, I think that I know, like I said, I think we said that we were going to be on for like 30 minutes. And I know we've definitely passed that. But I (laughs) – and that's what I – I mean, I could talk to you about all kinds of stuff for for hours. But that will be for another time. You'll just have to come back on and we can talk about – For sure. All kinds of good stuff. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for everything and – I can't wait to see you in a month, and um, we're gonna have lots of lots. Hopefully, the car won't break down this time. Knock on wood. Yes. So please, yes, thanks. yes. <laughs> we'll have a plan B and a plan C. In yes, place. always, always, always. So, well, you finish out your week and have a great rest of your week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, thanks, Kelly. All Ken. right, Sarah. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.